0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today.
0: to Pilgrim's Progress, my name is Ray Greenlee, I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Welcome to another edition of Pilgrim's Progress. It's where we talk about this journey from the city of destruction and our journey as we make our way toward the celestial city. I've been impressed over the last days with The number of people who are struggling on this journey and the real issue of their struggle is self. There is almost a a visual signal that you begin to get as people, for example, walk into church on Sunday and I watch them as they're coming and I'm greeting them and I'm talking with them I can see immediately certain people who are full of themselves. There's just a stench about it. There's an attitude about it. The way they walk, there's a cockiness, there's a, there's a self-awareness that is so absolutely destructive. Or some of the young people who begin to be used by God and they begin to notice that they're being used by God and suddenly they begin to rise up with I'm somebody look look God is using me and it opens up all kind of sin and destruction in their lives I've noticed as a pastor through the years, I'm very slow and very shy of ordaining a man or a woman as an elder in the body of Christ, or as a deacon, or as a deaconess, or as a minister. I'm very shy, I'm very cautious, because through the years I've discovered that as soon as you ordain elders in a church, they immediately jump to the assumption that they are somebody, that they are set apart by prayer and by the laying on of hands, and now there resides in that an authority. And now there's someone, and now there's someone you have to deal with. And pride begins to flood into their heart and into their life, and they destroy their walk with the Lord. I can't tell you how many men and women through the years I ordained only to watch them turn in pride. Many of them even ordained pastors, even even men and women who had been Christian for a number of years. But suddenly when they're brought into leadership, they see leadership as rulership. They see leadership not as servanthood. They see it as authority. They see it as power over another person. It's all self. I see people who come into a local congregation, and I've said to some of them, How much damage are you going to do in this church? And they look at me like I'm crazy. Why would I say such a thing to them? Because they come in so confident and so full of themselves with no humility of heart, no servanthood in their spirit. They come to be somebody. They come to be fond over because of their music talent. Or they come to be fond of it because of their ability to preach. Or because of their bold testimony that they're somebody. And I've watched as these people have come. And I've made room for them and I've welcomed them into the body of Christ. Only to have them shipwreck their lives and the lives of others. Because there's a bitter stubborn root in them of self, of self, self-glory. If there's anything necessary to serve Jesus Christ, it is a humble heart, a contrite spirit, Not assuming authority, but allowing authority to be granted based on the ability to serve. I tell the National Prayer Chapel, the only authority you should grant me as your pastor over your life is the authority that comes by humble service. Never, never by lordship. In other words, at the National Prayer Chapel, Pastor Ray is not somebody because he's the pastor. If I'm somebody, it's only because of service, of humility, of being the least among my brothers and my sisters. Now, I've not learned this quickly or easily. I usually learn things the hard way. My learning began when I was a Young man, maybe 14 years old, and I was an archer. I had my own bow and I'd been shooting for a number of years. This was when we used the recurve design, not these modern bows. And I went to a junior camp where I was going to be a counselor and an instructor. And I was the instructor in archery. And I remember one of the staff members came out to shoot. And that day my supervisor happened to be out in the archery field and we had probably 30 young people out there teaching them how to shoot. And one of the staff members came out and they also wanted to shoot. And I exercised my authority and said, You can't shoot with us. You have to come at a time when the archery field is available. And I began to exalt my authority in myself. And very quietly, my supervisor came up to me and put his arm around my shoulder. And he said, Ray, could we talk a minute? So I turned and walked away from that encounter. As I walked away, this very humble man who was my supervisor said, Ray, you're not here to rule over people. You're here to serve people. You're the servant who is helping people learn a skill. So you need to go back and apologize to that staff member and give them your bow your personal bow and tell them that they're welcome to shoot and that maybe they could help you with some of the students who are having a difficult time. Well, I was immediately ashamed because now I knew I had to go and deal with my lordship. That was not the only time. There were other times in in my professional ministry where I began to exalt myself and establish myself and reach out and take what I wanted for myself, for my rulership in the church. And every time I did that, the Lord rebuked me and brought punishment into my life and humbled me. I'm grateful for that Whipping that he has given me so often for bringing me to the conscious awareness that my role as a pastor is the role of a servant not that of a ruler I see this everywhere I look in the body of Christ today I see lordship I see rulership Some pastors have even taught their congregations to call their wives strange names. The first lady of the church. Well, what does it mean if if a wife is the first lady, what does that mean the pastor is? Well, it means he's the king, he's the president, he's the man. It doesn't work that way. If you're a pastor's wife and you're listening to this and you're called the first lady in your church, I beg of you to repent and become the last lady of your church. And if you're a pastor listening to this broadcast and you have established yourself as the CEO, if you've established yourself as the Lord of your church, I beg of you to humble your heart and become the lowest in your church, become the servant of your church. We were not sent out to establish lordship. Jesus said, Let him who wants to be the greatest among you be the least. Let him be servant of all. This is such a a tricky issue. This is such a difficult issue. A man texted me yesterday saying that he was demanding that his church recognize him as the leader. And when the leadership of the church would not respond positively, he became very angry. And finally, the fight escalated to the point that the church had an attorney write a letter to him asking him not to come to the church anymore. And he responded by writing back many pages of letter and insisted on attending that church and putting it in their faces that they weren't going to control him. He totally missed what the church is about. The church is not about lordship, it's about servanthood, it's about humility, it's about being the least among my brothers. And believe me, if my church were to say to me, Pastor, we don't want you to pastor us anymore. In fact, we don't want you to attend this church anymore. It would be a sorrowful time for me because it would demonstrate that I had completely broken confidence with those that I minister to. But I would have to shake the dust off my feet and walk away. Because the church is not about me. The church is not about the pastor. The church must be about Jesus. And as pastor, I have to constantly model that servant model. Now, one of the exciting things that's happened at the National Prayer Chapel is that I see men and women seeing that model of servanthood. They're now adopting that same model without my even talking about it very much. Often one of the brothers will come and, and take my briefcase and the things that I need to put in the car, and they'll just carry it out and put it in the car for me. And I say, why are you doing this? Well, because I'm learning to be a servant too. And one of these young men, his name is Sam. When he went to the job he's in, he said to me, Pastor, I'm going to go and not worry about money. He's in a sales position. He said, I'm going to go and not worry about money. I'm going to go and just be a servant in that place. And very quickly, he became the number one salesman. How? Is he a wonderful salesman? Absolutely not. He's not slick. He's not, he doesn't have all the moves down of a salesman. He's a servant. He's there to serve the customer and help them get what they would like to have and do it without pushing them. Certainly. This issue of servanthood is so great. I ask you today, are you a servant? Or are you a Lord? Are you a servant to your wife? Are you a servant to your children? Are you a servant to your husband? Are you a servant at work? Or are you so desperately needing for approval that everywhere you go you demand they bow down and worship you? There's a passage of Scripture I want to read for you. It's found in 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The will of God is that we be servants. Some of you are in home situations that are quite uncomfortable. And you want to demand that you have your rights. You want to demand what you want. And you're going to be angry if you don't get it. Or you go to work and you have demands on your boss and your fellow workers... You want what you want, and you're not going to be stepped on. You're going to be the man or the woman. Those are all things that come from the world. They don't come from the Father of of Light. They don't come from Jesus. They come from the world. So are you a servant? Are you a humble servant of God? Hi, Arunjana. What would you like to share?
1: Hi, Pastor Ray. How are you today? Good. Uh, I just wanted to quickly share a conversation that I had with my roommate in the context of uh, what you are talking about today. Uh, she told me about a congregation where the pastor was... Um, so the congregation was paying the pastor like ninety k annually, and the pastor it seemed he was not meeting um people that were crying out for his help, and he was not exactly ministering to people and then um because of financial crisis, they had to uh decrease the salary of the pastor, and he just refused to um you know he he just resigned over that issue and while he was pastoring, he also brought in um People, you know, accused him of nepotism. And after he resigned, uh, I just felt very bad after I uh, heard the story. It grieved my, it grieved the Holy Spirit. I felt for the congregation, they were probably all lost after the pastor resigned like that. And that set me thinking as to how in a lot of churches, um, like you said, they're run as business organizations. And even when I talked with my friends, they speak about church very, uh, in a very derogatory manner, saying that it's a business and nothing else. And when I hear any accounts of that, I now tell them, then, come to the National Prayer Chapel. You'll, you know, you'll hear something very different. And I just wanted to share that quickly with you.
0: Thank you, Arunjana. You're right. And it's the common salary for pastors in the metro area ranges in the $90,000 to 150000 Mm -hmm. Those are very common salaries in this area. Mm -hmm. And it really raises the question, is this a hireling who is there for the many, or is he there as a servant of the Lord? On the other side, I've seen congregations that were filled with very wealthy people, and they paid their pastor a salary that was so small, he could barely eke out survival. So it really requires both the pastor and the church to have a servant heart because they both care for one another. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But when it becomes a business and he becomes a CEO, then it isn't really about salary. Right. And that breaks the heart of God. So let me ask you, in your heart, um, how do you serve? And how do you serve your roommate I shared um,
1: I tried to do little things around the house for her she is a cleanliness freak so I try to keep the house clean for her and I have also shared my own spiritual quest with her and she actually expressed an interest to visit the National Prayer Chapel so I think the Lord is moving in her heart as well Mm -hmm. and I try to do other little things for her. She likes cheesecake, so I get her cheesecake sometimes. Um, Just try to be a better roommate than I was before. So I try to serve.
0: You know, originally it's so easy to make everything about myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really committed to not doing that. I want to help take the bricks out of somebody else's backpack. And, frankly, I'm going to avoid the people who always try to put their bricks in my backpack. <laughs> okay? Yes. In other words, I want to be there to help and serve, um, to lift somebody on that road. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to keep my connection very close with Jesus and follow and do what he tells me to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're walking as a new Christian, and part of the excitement in this walk has got to be finding ways to help other people
1: mm-hmm. and the focus completely changes. Um, I was very proud before i you know before my heart changed, and now the focus has completely changed. I do want to help out anyone who needs help in any way I can, and i I feel kind of insignificant when I think about how
0: big and how powerful the Lord is. And origin of that insignificance that you're feeling, I urge you to just cultivate that. That's a precious plant that you want to grow up in your life. And and I've been carefully cultivating that plant of insignificance in my heart uh, (laughs) because it's so easy to begin to feel like, Look, I'm doing something. I'm i accomplishing my goals, and I'm on the road, and I'm going to be somebody. And I don't want to be somebody anymore. I want Jesus. That
1: makes sense. Thank you so much, Pastor Ed.
0: Thanks. God bless you. God bless you. So where are you in this journey toward insignificance, toward humility? The road up is the road down. I want to read today the chapter 14 from the book Reese Howells, Intercessor. This chapter, he really begins to deal with how God dealt with his heart, how God humbled him. I want to share that with you out of this story. You remember I shared with you about the woman who had tuberculosis and how she left little children behind. Um, How Reese was called to look after these children, and he wanted to arrange for someone to come and look after them Temporarily, he was willing to pay for that service for these children. But the Lord showed him that, that his provision for these children was rich That he had to gain this position of a father to orphans. Now, let me pick up this story. The proof of the reality of this was to be seen in the coming years. No one could live with Reese Howells in later days and years in the Bible College and see him and Mrs. Howells taking care and loving children of missionaries and of Jewish refugee children, some in their own home and many in the happy homes for missionaries' children nearby, without realizing the extent to which God had indeed given them the Father and another heart. See, part of what happened in this challenge was that God had called him to be a living martyr. And now he called him to take care of these children and that would mean giving up his life. And he didn't want to do that for these children. It would be 15 to 20 years of service for these children to raise them. He didn't want to do that. But now the Lord confronted him and said, I want you to be a living martyr. So take these children. Well, he finally came through, but he said, you're going to have to put love for children in my heart. I don't love kids. Well, God gave him that love. A love for the fatherless. Now, in that arrangement... Suddenly, God moved, and he sent a woman, sisters, who would step in and take care of these children. And he was released, but not until he had come through in victory. Commenting later on this, Rich said, The place of intercession gained at that time holds good today there was no need for the Lord to test it over and over again unless there had been some indifference or backsliding. From the gained position, one can continually pray for the orphans and ask the Lord to be a father to them, even through others, because one only asks him to do through another what he is willing for the Lord to do through him. This is the law of intercession on every level of life that only so far as we have been tested and proved willing to do a thing ourselves can we intercede for others. Christ is our intercessor because he took the place of each one that he prayed for. Now this is so key, and this is why I opened this broadcast today with the issue of humility. There are positions of authority that God wants us to gain with Him. But those positions of authority are not positions of lordship. They are positions of servanthood. Most Christians that I speak with today, when I ask them if they are clean before God, they answer that question, no. There are still sins in my life that I'm struggling with and that I'm working on. And then I hear them pray and they say foolish things like, Lord, would you help me not to sin? Would you, Lord, would you, would you take this away? and they put the responsibility on God for their sin. Our sin is not God's responsibility. It is our responsibility. Our responsibility is to repent of that sin, to flee from it, and by the power of the blood, absolutely renounce it and run from it. And the Lord tells us in the Scriptures that no man has been tempted without giving him a way of escape. Now, here's the struggle. If we continue to spend all of our time struggling with sin, or finally just saying, look, I'm saved in the midst of my sin, I might as well go and live my life, then you will never enter into the depth of Jesus Christ And you will never gain positions of authority with the Lord in the prayer closet so that you can affect the physical realm by the way you pray and by the stand you take. In other words, there's a whole... It's like somebody who goes to the first grade. And they fail the first grade, and so they go to the first grade again. And suddenly they're 45 years old and they're still in the first grade or maybe in the 6th grade, but they're still in grade school. They have never grown up. They're still struggling with the times tables. They're still struggling with how to study, with, with childish things. Most Christians that I know have never graduated from the 8th grade. They've never gone to high school, and they certainly have never gone to college. The writer of Hebrews talks about this and says, You're still on milk, not strong meat, not adult food. Now, all of this issue of not growing up in Christ is centered around the sin of self-indulgence, the sin of being concerned about me, being filled with my own sense of self-importance and my own needs instead of focusing on the needs of others and instead of focusing on being the grown-up in the room. And so the Christian church today is dumbed down, it's imbecilic, it's slow of spirit, and people are focused on every kind of recreational activity and every kind of worldly pleasure without being able to step into these positions of responsibility in the spirit that God has called us for one person came to the National Prayer Chapel and put themselves forward as being an apostle of God. But it was very quickly evident that they were simply looking for a place where they could be somebody, where they could be putting themselves forward and having everyone fawn over them. What a tragedy in a person's life who is an adult body But walking like a spoiled child, trying to get affirmations from people, trying to get approval from people, trying to garner, oh, aren't they wonderful? Somewhere we finally have to grow up and say, what positions of responsibility and what positions of authority is God calling me to step into in the service of the King of Kings. Self stands in the way of our being able to do that. Reese goes on, We are never called to intercede for sin. That has been done once and for all. But we are often called to intercede for sinners. In other words, we don't need to pay a price to have sin forgiven. The price was paid at Calvary. Now we have to pray for sinners that they will be willing to accept the price that was paid at Calvary, renounce their life, and go to that cross and be crucified, and die to self that they could live for Christ. What a joyful and happy church it is, where there are no dog fights, no cat fights, no street fights where people are not struggling for ascendancy, where people are not struggling to have authority, but where people are coming humble of heart, servant-spirited, willing to, to give to another and meet another's need with humility and gentleness and softness of heart. What a joyful place that is. Believe me, I've been in both kinds of churches. One church is filled with accusation, recrimination, bitterness. There is a tense atmosphere. People are saying catty things to each other after the service. There's competition in the way they dress and the way they act. There is a power struggle for ascendancy. Who's going to be close to the pastor? Who's going to exercise authority? Who's going to be recognized? Who's going to be the greatest among us? This kind of wickedness destroys a church family. It destroys any kind of organization. Servant leadership is godly leadership. Anything else is of darkness. Some of you may say, but my boss is only concerned about lordship. That's okay. You only be concerned about servanthood. Serve him the way God called you to in spite of what he says or she says, in spite of what they do, do everything you can to make them look wonderful. Don't undercut them. Be their servants. And who can tell But after you have endured the test, that the Lord will take them down and lift you up. See, our lives are in the hands of God we called to walk as humble servants, not to be somebody. In a wonderful way, the Lord also used Reese Howells to reveal his love to the father who had deserted the children. For over 16 years since he'd been a boy, Reese Howells had paid money into the Rechabites Sick Benefit Club of a cooperative form of insurance plan for the village. Now the Lord told him that he was no longer to keep his payments up any longer. As the Lord had the ownership of the money, said Reese Howells, I could not use it without his permission. The devil was busy warning me that I would have no provision for a rainy day, and in plain language my end would be in the workhouse. And all my life I had dreaded even the name of that place. But the Lord made him stand on one scripture. He that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. 2 Chronicles 8.15 So the Rechabite club had to go. What he's talking about is an insurance policy. It had to go to the altar nor was he allowed to put in a claim for the amounts already paid. But three months after the man had deserted his children and had also been compelled to leave the district through a sin he had committed, Reese Howes was guided, strangely enough, to pay the back or arrears amount on this man's sick benefit club and therefore to keep it up to date. It was a surprising guidance, for if it had been wrong for him to pay his own club money or insurance money, how could it be right for him to pay another man's insurance? The Holy Spirit revealed the wrong for him had not been in paying the club, but in the motive he had in maintaining his payments. God had called him to the school of faith and therefore for him, The position of faith once gained would be a complete substitute for the insurance against the workhouse. But it was equally clear, said Reese Howells, that we cannot say a thing is wrong for others just because we've been called to give it up ourselves. It depends on our position or grade in life. And so he paid this man's insurance fees, and no one else knew about it. He never heard a word from the man till about five months later when he had a letter from him saying that he was laid up in bed with tuberculosis and had a severe hemorrhage. For two weeks he had struggled with himself to go to his knees and ask the Lord for forgiveness. But he had been too much ashamed to do so because he had dishonored the blessed name of Jesus. But one Sunday morning, the Salvation Army workers had come in front of the house where he was staying. And while they were singing, he'd gotten out of bed, and he got on his knees. And as he repented, he received forgiveness and peace. He was now writing to say how sorry he was that he had yielded to the temptation and disgraced the mission through the sin into which he had fallen. And he asked the friends, to forgive him, since the Lord had done so. He had no money to pay his lodging, but the doctor had arranged for him to be taken to the workhouse the following week. When the man heard that Mr. Hales had done for him what he could not do, the love of God broke him down. Instead of the workhouse, he was taken to his father's house, and had a guinea a week for five months until he passed peacefully away in the presence of the Lord. His little ones received 38 pounds after his death. The incident had a great effect on the village, and was also a proof to his servant that the Lord could not only keep him out of the workhouse, but also keep others through him if he gave perfect obedience to the Holy Spirit. In all these experiences, the Lord had a twofold purpose. The blessing of the needy and the transformation of his servant. The Holy Ghost took me through grade after grade, he said. The process of changing one's nature, of replacing the self-nature with the divine nature, was very slow and bitter. It was a daily dying and showing forth the life of Christ. But that life was the life of a victim. Christ was the greatest victim on one side of the cross, but the greatest victor on the other. The daily path was the way of the cross. Every selfish motive, every selfish thought was at once dealt with by the Holy Spirit. In my boyhood days, the strictest man I knew was my schoolmaster. But how often I said that the Holy Ghost was a thousand times more strict. The schoolmaster could only judge by actions. But the Holy Spirit was judging by the motives. One evening, for instance, Reese and his friend were to both speak in the open air. The friend preached first, and the Holy Spirit so used him that Rieshals began to wonder how he could ever preach after him. Rieshals was not a gifted open-air speaker. This thought grew into a jealousy. Oh, no one knew it, he said, but that night the Holy Spirit whipped me and humbled me to the dust He showed me the ugliness of it and how the devil would take advantage of such a thing to damage the souls of those people. I never saw a thing I hated more than that, and I could have cursed myself for it. Didn't you come out to the open air for those souls to be blessed, the Holy Spirit asked? And if so, what difference does it make through whom I bless them? He told me to confess the sin to my friend, and if ever he found it in me again, I would have to make a full public confession. From that day on, I have not dared to cherish a thought of jealousy, because not once did the Holy Spirit go back on his word to me. Whatever warning of punishment he had given me, if I disobeyed, I had to pay the full penalty. A person might think it was a life of bondage and fear. It would be to the flesh, but to the new man in Christ, it was a life of the fullest liberty. At first I had a tendency to pity myself and grumble at the penalty for disobedience. But as I saw that I must either lose this corrupt self here or bear the shame of its exposure hereafter, I began to side with the Holy Spirit against myself and looked on the stripping as a deliverance rather than a loss. This makes me raise the question today, have you been subjected to the whippings of God? Many of you who call yourselves Christians have never experienced a whipping from God. You've been told that God loves you unconditionally and that God would never do anything to you that would bring pain or suffering, that God would never embarrass you. You serve a different God than I serve. The Jesus I serve is most concerned about removing every part of the self-life and establishing every part of the divine life. I think this is probably what the Apostle Paul was speaking about in the book of Galatians. I want to just open, I could quote it for you, but I want to open my scripture. I want to read it to you. Galatians, the second chapter. I'll begin with verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The righteousness cannot be gained through the law. Righteousness is gained through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is gained as the Holy Spirit comes in in the power of the blood of Jesus and circumcises my heart. you understand what he means? He means that literally cut things out of me. He means surgery. This requires pain. It requires suffering. It requires that I submit to the will of God and that I side with the Holy Spirit against myself. I spoke with a man today. Lust was rising up in his heart. He very much wanted to fulfill that desire. And I said to him, Will you make a covenant with me to walk clean before God today? well, I don't know if I can do that. I've asked God to take away my lust. I don't know if I can do that. I said, you can do that. You have to make the decision. I I heard in his voice a slipperiness. I heard in his voice an indecision about whether he would side with his own desires or whether he would side with the Holy Spirit and walk clean, pure before God. I continued pressing him. And finally he said, All right, I see what you're saying. Seeing is a conscious decision on my part. I said, Yes. Yes. You can make it an unconscious choice and pretend that you don't know what's happening. But sin is always a choice. Now we must make it a conscious choice or a conscious turning aside. Sin is a choice. And as God deals with the more overt sin as he deals with the outward sin of anger and bitterness, and he deals with lust, and he deals with pride, he deals with all of that in the outward form, he then needs to come and deal with it in the inner heart. There is an inner cleansing and an outer cleansing that David speaks of in Psalm 51. And let me just read that for you very quickly, please. In Psalm 51, he says, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, or purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. There is an inner purging, an inner cleansing with hyssop, with the blood of Jesus. And then there is an outer washing. And of course that word to wash means to put me in a tub of soapy water and to stomp all over me until I am whiter than snow, until I am bright. Uh, In verse 2 it's wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That word cleanse in the Hebrew is literally to make me bright. That's the literal translation. In other words, make me holy. There's an inner and an outer cleansing that God is wanting to do in your life today. And you can't spend the rest of your life struggling with these willful sins. We have to grow to a place in Christ in victory where now we can begin to gain positions of authority with God so that when we go in the prayer closet, our prayers are answered. Many of you don't pray because for you prayer is merely a yoga exercise. It's an emotional catharsis. It's not something that reaches the throne of God. If you want your prayer to reach the throne of God and you want to change the physical realm based on what you have cried out to the Lord, you are going to have to repent of your sin and allow Him to begin this whipping process, this cleansing, this breaking process that self would be utterly removed from your life and from your heart, that you could walk clean before God. Have you experienced this? Yes, I'm sure that you, like I, have suffered for my sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a divine suffering that is brought into our lives to cause us to never again walk in that sin, whether that sin be pride or self-sufficiency, lust for money. It really is about being engaged with the Holy Spirit in such a way that you can be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's what Paul meant when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. Almighty God, I pray for those listening today that you will begin this awesome work in their hearts of convicting them of their sin, that they would determine to walk pure and clean before you, that you would administer that whipping where necessary, that you would lead and guide their steps, that all willful sin would be put away and they could begin to learn the deeper things of the Spirit and begin to gain those positions of authority with you that will allow them to minister the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus to the lost and the dying. Lord, you know each person listening today. I pray that your will will be accomplished in their heart and in their life. Wash them now and make them clean by your blood. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him